Today's reading is from the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verses 9 through 23. For this reason, since the day we heard it, we have not ceased praying for you and asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you may lead lives worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, as you bear fruit in every good work and as you grow in the knowledge of God. May you be made strong with all the strength that comes from his glorious power. And may you be prepared to endure everything with patience, by joyfully giving thanks to the Father, who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers. All things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile himself, all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. And you, who once estranged and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled, in his fleshly body through death, so as to present you holy and blameless and irreproachable before him, provided that you continue securely established and steadfast in the faith, without shifting from the hope promised by the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. I, Paul, became a servant of this gospel. Hear the word of the Lord. Uh, if you're following along in our Pew Bibles, we're on page 956. Uh, this is our last week on page 956, if you remember that number, uh, as we step through Colossians. Uh, this morning, as we step through Colossians, we're, we're looking at God's uh, rescue plan for us in Jesus. And so as we've been looking at this passage, the, the question comes to me, uh, for you, uh, what does God want from me? For you to ask for, of yourself, what, what does God want from me? What does God want for me? As we read this passage, uh, we see God's big plan of reconciliation. And so at a really simple level, we could say what God wants for me is that I will be reconciled to him. What does to reconcile mean? It means uh, relationship is restored, uh, that you are reconnected, uh, that you are in close relationship with him. That's what he wants for us. But it's also a picture that extends beyond us, isn't it? Uh, God has a picture of reconciliation uh, that is his picture for the world. Uh, that all the creation will be reconciled to him and to itself, that, w that we would be reconciled amongst each other, that we would have good relationships that, that work 
and that we will be reconciled in our relationship with him, the, the one who enables us to live and know love and to love well. So, so the next question from well, what does God want for me or what does God want from me, the, the next question to sort of ask is, well, am I willing to believe uh, if there is a God that he actually has a good plan for me? And that his plan for me is better than my plan for me. Am I willing to believe that God's plan for him, for me, uh, as in what pleases him? And so uh, we've been reading a few times this verse, verse 10. Uh, and if you're looking at the verse, we're right down at the, the bottom left-hand corner of page 956. We're, we're, we've prayed, he's been praying for us, Paul, that we'll be filled with spiritual wisdom so that we may lead lives worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work. So the question for, for me and for you is, am I willing to believe God's plan for me, what pleases him, God's plan for me, uh, is better than my plan for me? I think, that's, I think that's really challenging. If you're sitting there and you're wondering what to do, um, any plan's better than the boredom of wondering what to do. But most of us aren't sitting there twiddling our thumbs. We, we, at some level, are navigating our way through life and thinking, this is what's best for me. And as an interruption to the, this is what I think is best for me or my family or my community, is God's plan to me. And, and does it always look the same? No. Because it doesn't look the same because none of us live perfectly. See, God's plan for us is that we would love the way that he loves uh, and that others would experience his love through us and then know his love for themselves. Uh, we're, as Christians, we can talk a lot about sin and, and almost sideline sin as the bad things that people do. Uh, rather than thinking about sin in the context of the way God shares understanding with us. Uh, see, sin is to fall short of doing what is pleasing to him. So when I uh, go about my day and there's an opportunity to love someone well, and I don't love someone in the way God would have me love them well in that situation, that's sin. Now, we quite obviously sin sometimes where we, when we get angry or grumpy or we say things we, we shouldn't. That's the obvious sin. But the more common sin is actually God presents us with opportunity and we just let it kind of float on by. And as that opportunity for us floats on by, that opportunity to love someone else well, they miss out on this opportunity to be loved by God through us. But as we begin to believe that God's plan for us to do what is pleasing to him is best not only for us and for others, we stop letting those opportunities go by. And that's God's big plan for the world. Those opportunities to love wouldn't just kind of drift by. They will be embraced by all people. And through that, the whole world knowing his love and being pointed to the, the source of love that enables us to love even those who are unlovable. And you might step back and go, well, well, hang on a second, God. 
Some people are easy to love. <laughs> Some people are really, really, really hard to love. Like really hard. Uh, right now, I want you to think of the, the person that you find hardest to love. Don't, don't mention their name. <laughs> this is not an interactive... <laughs> Uh, don't, don't poke them. Uh, <laughs> think of the person that you find hardest to love or, or the, the, the worst person that you know, and it may not be someone that's close. That was our standing before God, before we came to know Jesus. You see, because, because when we fall short, uh, when we... Um, act in ways that aren't loving towards God's creation, God's people, uh, that brings anger to God. Now, that's not like our anger when someone's done the wrong thing by me or I'm angry because things haven't gone my own way. Uh, God's anger is righteous and perfect. So when wars are happening around the world, that angers God. When we're the cause of wars in relationships, that brings anger to God. When we ignore God who created us and made us and desires for us to know his love, that brings anger to God. And so, so when you think of the worst person you know uh, and how you might feel about them, there was distance between us and God before Jesus. The way it worked out in the Old Testament was people would come and they would offer sacrifices, so you'd be distant from God, someone would grab a sacrifice, they would take it to the altar, the altar would at some level be that restoring relationship to God and then you go away, you'd kind of try and be a good enough person and come back and keep offering sacrifices. That was the way it worked in the Old Testament to restore relationship. Now, now that never fully worked because uh, the people that were offering sacrifices never fully changed themselves. And so uh, as a result, they continued to remain distant from God. And we have this described... Uh, for us in verse 21. So if you're following along in the Bible, uh, down in the bottom right-hand corner now, you who were once estranged and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, and remember, think of evil deeds as not only doing what is wrong, but falling short of what is right and good and loving and godly, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his fleshly body through death so to present you holy and blameless. So what God did on the cross uh, for us through Jesus is an act of reconciliation. We, uh, in, the, in the Old Testament times, people were offering sacrifices in order to restore that relationship with God. Uh, God chose to take upon himself all our wrongdoing in an order to restore us to him. That's the, the mystery of the cross that we just sang about, that God would uh, take what was done wrong by those who were his enemies, uh, us, and do what was necessary in order to restore relationship between his enemies and himself, that we would know love, that his creation would know love. It's that Amazing verse, John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him would not perish but would have eternal life. Now we can, we can gloss over that really easily, forgetting the significance of what God has done. 
At some level, uh, all of us do things each day that put distance between us and God. And what God has done in Jesus is restore relationship. And so what we see, the, the last half of that verse I was just reading, was that he's now reconciled us in his fleshly body through death so as to present you holy and blameless, irreproachable before him. To be holy and blameless, to, to be blameless is to have no blame that can be laid on you. And so when you stand before God as a blameless person, he's not looking at you and going, uh, God, uh, could, could you, Randall, offer a sacrifice in order to restore relationship with me? Because of what Jesus has done, relationship is restored as, my, as I put my trust and my faith in Jesus. Uh, to be irreproachable, is an, it's an interesting word, isn't it? Uh, when someone's done something wrong to you, it's hard to, to show up and be face-to-face -face with them. Uh, when you've done something wrong uh, before someone else, <laughs> uh, it's hard to actually have a face-to-face -face conversation with them and say, look, I've done the wrong thing by you. We, we, we don't want to approach them uh, because at some level we feel shame ourselves that we are not worthy of them or they are not worthy of us. I don't deserve to be in your presence. You don't deserve to be in my pre presence. And, and therefore, at some level, distance is put between us and others because of wrongdoing. To be irreproachable is for God to say to us that when he looks at us because of what Jesus has done, he, he's not saying, only because of Jesus I, I look at you and you're okay. He's saying, I feel no reproach. I, I don't need to step back. I do not need to hide myself from you because of what Jesus has done in order to restore your relationship with me. A lot of people say, oh, you know, I, I wouldn't be holy enough for, for church or I'm not good enough for God. Or When you look at this verse and discover that, that actually what God has done to restore us to him is he's made us good enough for him. There's nothing that we've actually done in order for us to measure up uh, to being in his presence. Not only that, something magical just hasn't happened. On his initiative, he has done what is necessary for us to be irreproachable before him. So that's, I asked you a little bit earlier to think of the person, the worst person that, that you know, and you're not naming them. And I want you to think about what, what would it take for you to do for them what was necessary to restore your relationship with them. Hang on, Randall. They've done wrong against me. They, they need to do the work. And, and so that's naturally what is stirred up within us. Well, well, actually, God has done what we can't do, we struggle to do in and of ourselves. You see, without God, we were trapped at the mercy. We, we, we see... Uh, we would see that we were under the rulers and the powers and, and the dominions. Uh, 
He's taken us, he's rescued us, verse 13, I found it now. So if you're right at the top of page 956, verse 13, he's rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption. That is, someone is restored in relationship, the forgiveness of sins. And so the path of redemption is forgiveness. Now, for us to forgive the person we think worst of is uh, for some, uh, because of the the things that someone has done, uh, seems impossible. But for God, who knows every thought and every action and every inaction, to forgive us is really significant. And this is unilaterally applied. It's not that one sin is worse than another. It's one sin, one falling short is as bad as each other sin. We're we're all equal no matter what we've done. It's God who's taken the initiative to restore us through forgiveness. That is our sin being paid for on the cross through Jesus in order to restore relationship with him. That this is the simple truth of the gospel, that God has taken the initiative, that God wants to continue to take the initiative in order to restore our relationship with him, but also with each other. You see, God's love doesn't want to find its end point in us. It wants uh, to find its end point as someone else who experiences his love through us offers love back to him that's a complete circle we love someone well and they discover who god is and through discovering who god is they begin to love god who previously they may have ignored or sidelined thinking he's not interested and that's what reconciliation of all things that's that's how god's rescue plan works that's what it looks like but do do i actually need rescuing let, let, let me encourage you, freedom uh, feels like freedom. Uh, a, a lot of people in this world feel like they're just stuck in a channel, stuck in a pattern of life, stuck in a way of relating, uh, negative patterns that are just generational. This is just who I am. God's plan brings us freedom. A plan of rescue is about captives being set free i wonder if you've ever felt trapped in doing the same thing at a a really simple level and in lent people often give up things Uh, you may have felt trapped by that morning coffee that if you don't have that morning coffee the rest of your day is going not going to go well Uh, you may feel trapped uh, by eating you may feel trapped in terms of a negative pattern of just reacting every time you meet someone or, or talk to someone and you may feel unable to actually step outside that what god's freedom gives us uh, is, is not always complete freedom from those circumstances but the freedom to choose a different path the freedom to choose a path that pleases him trusting in the middle of that path that if i choose what pleases him that's actually what is best for me a path of freedom uh, to no longer be defined uh, by what i've done that's wrong what, what, what does that mean it's a, it means that my falling short does not define me for life 
that I'm not a failure because I've done the wrong thing, that I'm not always going to be this way, that I don't always have to be trapped in worry or anxiety. These don't have to be my things. God has actually bought us freedom. Now, it's, it's not uh, always freedom 100% from our circumstances, but it is a freedom to choose a different path, to no longer be defined, to know love and to show love. You see, God's rescue plan for all of us is found in Jesus. We read uh, these uh, last verses. Uh, so, you who were once estranged, hostile in mind, have been reconciled. Uh, blameless, irreproachable for him. Verse 23, provided that you continue securely established and steadfast in faith without shifting from the hope promised by the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. So there's a responsibility for us. Uh, at some level, faith, uh, Christian faith in the past may have been communicated in a way that you go, you get baptized or you get confirmed, you say a promise and then you're saved and you'll end up in heaven. The rest is, doesn't really matter. Well, that's not the gospel that we're hearing in this passage, is it? Uh, actually, the, the gospel requires uh, not a continued journey of perfection, a continued journey with God, seeking to do what is pleasing to him. And as you take what uh, you think is pleasing to you and you lay it down, trust him that he knows what is best for you, knows how to love you better than you know how to love yourself. And as you follow him, he's going to lead you into a lot of the things that you think are good because he knows our hearts and he treasures those, uh, treasures those things. But he's also going to change the way that we live and love. And it's a continuing journey of taking what I think is best for me, laying it down and saying, God, what do you want from me? How can I uh, do my relationships in life well? How can I do my work in a way that is pleasing to you? How can I use my money in a way that is pleasing to you? How can I do everything in a way that is pleasing to you? And so we started off January thinking on this thought, God, what is pleasing to you? And God's rescue plan I've just shared with you this morning is about restoring us into that place of finding what is pleasing to him and finding our pleasure in relationship with him, that we would know love and that we would share love. And so that question again, am I willing to believe God's plan for me, what pleases him is better than my plan for me? Am I willing to lay it down? And I'm, am I willing to discover what it is that God wants from me? What it is that God has prepared for me? And in the middle of that, you're going to discover the radical pursuing love of God that is willing to rescue even from the darkest, deepest circumstances and restore life where there is none. That's what he wants for you and I and he wants to invite us to join in not only his reconciliation plan for us but his reconciliation plan for others and that is great news the God sees brokenness and wants to speak hope and bring life 
And all we need to do is verse 23. Be steadfast in faith. Look to him. Don't put our hope in other things. Put our hope in his gospel. Him restoring us to him and others. And continuing to walk in that in life. And do you know all it takes it, 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 with other relationships in order to restore them? There's often this big sort of, you've got to do this, you've got to say this, it's going to take time, is it going to work? In Jesus, we know it's going to work uh, because he has said that to us. All we need to do is put our trust. You know, you've, if you've lived the worst week, uh, you've been horrible to other people. You've totally ignored what God wanted of you. Say you've lived the worst week possible. All you need to do before God is come to him and say, God, I'm sorry. I know I've not lived your, your way. Thank you that you sent Jesus to restore me to you and other people. Please do that work of restoration now. Forgive me and lead me in your way. And the walk of a Christian is continually turning towards him. Not turning back to sin, because when we turn towards him, we're actually saying, I want to leave that behind. We're not saying, God, I'm sorry, and then going back to it. We're saying, I leave that behind because I know that's not good for me and for others, and that doesn't honor you, and I want to walk forward with you. And then faithfully seeking to walk forward and trusting that he'll lead us in that. And even if we turn back for a second, he will lead us because he's continually calling us forward. Uh, maybe this morning as uh, you gather here and you're, you're thinking about life and relationships and what's working and what's not working, maybe you want to put your trust back in Jesus and be restored uh, into what is pleasing to him and finding out his love for you. I'm going to give us a time in prayer just to seek uh, to come before God and ask him to restore us to him. Uh, so so if, you, if you want to pray a little prayer, I'm going to pray a prayer and you can repeat the, the words after me. Our dear God, thank you that you love me. Thank you that you pursue me. Thank you that you care for me. Forgive me for living in ways that don't please you. For putting my hope in other places. For bringing hurt to you. For bringing hurt to others. I trust in the restoration that Jesus brings. Restore in me hope. Grant to me freedom. Empower me for life. Uh, through your spirit, uh, by the work of your son, Jesus in whose name we pray.
Amen.